This evening, for a little while, I'd like for us to consider the subject on the board of relational listening. Now, whenever you hear that, you're probably thinking, oh, this is one of those old counselee lessons about listening. But what I want us to understand is that if, if you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're a brother or a sister in Christ, if you're a spouse, you're a counselor. You're a counselor. You're not a counselor because you have some piece of paper up on the wall that says you went through so much training and therefore you're recognized as a counselor. You're a counselor because you love and care for people. You love and care for people. And in loving and caring for people, it's necessary to communicate. And it's necessary to talk and it's necessary to listen. And whenever we think about Christianity, we need to understand that the wisdom of God is manifested in Christianity, not by just simply the religion that we practice, but by the relationships that we live in. And that's the wisdom that, uh, that was manifested, and that's the wisdom that the church is to manifest. In Ephesians chapter 3, the bringing together of the Jews and the Gentiles, two groups of people who were in enmity with each other, coming together under the common headship of Christ and loving one another and caring for one another, and serving for one another. And whenever we love and we care and we serve each other, we're manifesting the wisdom of God to this world. How that people who are broken, how that people who are flawed and people are imperfect can come together and help one another and support one another and love one another because of the influence of God's grace in each of our lives. And an important part of our relationships with each other is our ability to listen. And it's important that we become skillful in listening. Because again, that's a necessary part of our communication with each other and therefore a necessary part of our relationships with each other. So whenever we see the lesson and we see the title, don't just think, you know, well, this is going to be, this. he must have went to a workshop somewhere and got this and made a lesson out of it, which those of us as teachers, we do that sometimes. But, but this is something that is important to all of us, important in every relationship in our life. Our ability to listen is paramount to effective relationships. In fact, I'm going to say if we can't listen well, we can't relate well. If we can't listen well, then our homes are going to be in turmoil, our marriages are going to be in turmoil, and our relationships with each other in the church are going to be in turmoil, and there's going to be people that are hurting and suffering in secret because they're not able to talk to people and communicate to people the burden that they're bearing because they just don't feel like anyone can listen. And we want to give each other confidence that we can listen that I'm someone that you can talk to, that you're someone that I can talk to, and we can talk to each other in a way that we can have confidence, that we can be strengthened in our relationship and be able to communicate and bear one another's burdens. Relational listening is listening in the context of the vital and meaningful relationships in our life. Spouse to spouse, parent to child, Christian to Christian. How many of you have had relationships who had that had difficulty and you went and talked to somebody about it and the subject of communication come up? <laughs> and I want you to understand that whenever we have communication problems, the majority of those communication problems are listening problems. We're real good at talking. <laughs> We're real good at expressing ourselves. But sometimes we have difficulty understanding and interpreting the messages that are being sent to us. A typical study about listening or communication points out that we spend about 70 to 80% of our waking hours in some form of communication. 
So during the waking hours of our day, we spend the majority of our day in some type of communication. And of that time, we spend about 9% of that writing. We spend about 16% of it reading on average. We spend about 30% of it speaking. And we spend about 45% of it listening. Nearly half of the time that we spend in communication, we spend listening. So if we don't get the listening right, we're messing it all up, aren't we? And the irony of all of this is that when we go to school, they teach us how to write, don't they? They teach us how to read and they teach us how to speak. How many of you took a listening class? Well, they may have them now, but I know when I was in school, we didn't have a listening class. The only way you learned to listen was if you didn't, you got in trouble. And it's a skill that we have to work at. It's a skill that we have to practice. It's a skill that we have to be purposeful in because if we don't, we become lazy and we're not going to receive the meaningful communications that people have for us. In our marriages, husbands and wives, again, you know, one of the major complaints, especially kind of stereotyping here with men, is that you just don't listen to me. Oh, we listen. <laughs> We hear you, but we don't understand. And so tonight, we want to look at some biblical principles that will help us to be better listeners and to highlight the importance of listening and for you and myself to make conscious, conscious purposeful, and intentional efforts to become better listeners. Because in doing so, we're going to greatly enhance our communication. And whenever we greatly enhance our communication, then we greatly enhance the relationships that we have with each other. Well, what is the objective of listening? If I were to ask you, okay, why do you listen? Why do you listen? The objective of listening is understanding. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 10 and other verses in the Bible, whenever Jesus would talk about, he, whenever He would call for the attention of the people and tell them to listen and instruct them to hear, He would always say, hear and understand. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 9, the prophet said, and he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. So we can hear and understand, and we can also hear and not understand, but in both verses, what we're trying to accomplish when we listen is to understand. Well, what does it mean to understand? When you look at the definition of the word understand, it means to put together, mentally to comprehend. And I like the literal definition because, again, it gives us an image. And that's why we define all of these words. Like, I mean, I know we, we, you may feel like you're you know, in an English class because we're defining words all the time. But the definitions of these words give us pictures to help us to illustrate the concepts better. To understand means to put together. So think of listening like this. Listening is like putting together a puzzle where one takes all of the communications of a person, verbal and nonverbal, and pieces them together to get a picture of what is being communicated. So whenever I'm talking to you, or you're talking to me, I'm taking all of the communications that you're giving to me, 
Your verbal communications, the way that you say your words, the words that you say, your body language. And I'm trying to piece all of that together to get an understanding of what's going on inside your head and inside of your heart. And that has to be our objective whenever we're listening. We're trying to enter into the world of the other person and experience what that person is experiencing. And that's why I call it relational listening. Sometimes you'll hear it called active listening. But I'm trying to relate to someone. It's different than right now. When I'm talking to you, you're just, you know, you're listening for information for the most part. But when you're relationally listening, you're listening to try to capture the thinking and the feeling of the person. Because whenever we share with each other in close intimate relationships, whether it be a parent-child relationship, a husband-wife relationship, a brother-sister-in-Christ relationship, we want to be able to, be, to clearly communicate how we're thinking and how we're feeling. And in order to clearly communicate that, we must clearly listen to understand. Feelings are important. I know we live in a culture today where Feelings of, you know, we choose feelings over fact. But don't discount the power of a person's feelings. Because in communication, especially relational communication, whenever we're able to understand the way a person is feeling, we've made a connection. And we've made a connection that gives that person confidence that somebody truly understands. And we'll look at some verses to show that here in just a moment. And so whenever we're talking relationally, we're trying to capture what's in the mind and we're trying to capture what's in the heart. So if you're talking to me about a burden and about a problem, the two things on my mind are, okay, what are you thinking and what are you feeling? What are you thinking and what are you feeling? Because I want to be able to know what you're thinking and I want to be able to feel what you're feeling. Because then that puts me in a more capable situation to be able to be a faithful burden bearer. To be able to be a faithful counselor. But we have to take that time and we have to put forth that effort to make that connection. In Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 15, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word sympathize that Paul uses there means to feel sympathy with, to commiserate, to have compassion, to be touched with a feeling. And so whenever we look at Jesus Christ, our high priest, in order to produce confidence in us that gives us boldness to go before the throne of grace, Paul says you need to understand that this high priest is able to feel your pain. He doesn't say come boldly unto the throne of grace because the high priest knows everything. And he does know everything. But what gives us confidence that he is really someone that can help us is to know that he feels my pain. He can connect with me in that feeling level so I know and I can be assured that he's truly connected with me and therefore I can go boldly before him. 
because I know he understands. And I can't count the number of times in talking to people and ask them, well, why don't you talk to your parents? Oh, they'll never understand. Why don't you talk to your spouse? Oh, they'll never understand. People want understanding. And that's something else that I want us to highlight. When people come to us with their burdens, our job is not to fix them. Our job is to understand. And in understanding, we give to them a, a partner that they can join with and to know this person cares. Because what's worse than hurting is hurting alone. And people need to know that we understand their feelings so then that they can have confidence that they're not alone and that we're somebody that's able to help. Hebrews 13.3, I like this verse, where Paul is talking concerning those that were in prison and he said to those Christians, he says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. And so in his relationship, or so rather Paul, in the relationship that he was talking about to the Hebrews, that whenever you remember those who are, who are prisoners, that those who are going through misfortunes, he's saying, put yourself in their place. Understand what it feels like to be them. Because then that makes us capable supporters and capable burden bearers. And so whenever we're listening, one of the things I want to emphasize here at the beginning, especially in relational listening, is that we seek to understand the feelings of a person. And sometimes we're not very good at that. Those of us, especially who are men, you know, we're not into feelings. Let's just fix it. <laughs> Let's just fix it. Well, honey, I had a bad day at work. The boss was grumpy. The computer didn't work right, and, and I just couldn't seem to get organized. And then as husbands, we say, well, you need to avoid your boss, you need to call the IT guy, and then you need to do a better job organizing. <laughs> Problem solved. And then the wife just looks at him like, you don't get it, do you? And that's the way it is with communications. When we listen to people and listen to what they're saying, all the time we're thinking of solution, 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 and we forget to connect at the feeling level to give them true, real confidence that we love and that we care and that we're capable burden bearers. In James 1, verse number 19, James says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. A verse that we read a lot. But notice here how that James says be swift. And the word swift means to be fleet, to be prompt or ready. And I liken it to a, a race, somebody that's getting ready to run a sprint. And so they step up to the sprint, the, the starting line, and they get down and they get ready. And they're just sitting there waiting on the fire of the gun to take off. And that's the way it is whenever we listen. Whenever someone begins to speak with us, Someone comes to us with a relational issue. We need to prepare ourselves and to be acute and to be sharp in our perception. 
Put away the cell phone. Turn off the TV. Do whatever you've got to do to prepare yourself to listen directly to whatever is being said and capture every word, capture every emotion, capture every communication so that we're good and we're quick to be able to listen to what they have to say. In Proverbs 18 and verse 13, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Before we can respond correctly and appropriately to anyone, we have to listen to them. We have to listen to them. Have you ever had the experience where you went to someone with a problem seeking help and after you got through talking to them, you felt worse? Because they didn't want to listen to you. Maybe they just wanted to tell you something to do to get you off their back. We need people that will listen. And how you listen demonstrates how much you care. So if I'm up here on my phone and somebody comes up and starts talking to me about a problem, and I, okay, yeah, okay, okay. Wait just a second. Okay, all right, go ahead. How much confidence am I giving to that person? How does that person feel about my ability to be a burden bearer? So I have to be sure that I'm quick to listen. But here's our problem a lot of times. That whenever we listen, we don't listen with the intent to understand. We listen with the intent to reply. What am I going to say? Have you ever been in that situation where someone comes to you with a problem and then you get in a frantic thinking, Oh dear, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Don't do that. Just listen. Just listen. And whenever you listen and they get through talking, more times than not, the one thing that they want to hear is, I understand. I understand. And so seek to listen. Seek to understand. I want to look at some principles in the Scripture that... In my reflections and in my meditations about listening, things that have helped me and things that I think will help you in your ability to listen and be an effective listener in your relationships. <clears throat> the first one is be inviting. Be someone people can talk to. You know, we need to talk to each other. As Christians, we need to talk to each other. Satan has done a tremendous job in isolating us from each other. In having the close relational interaction that's necessary for us to sustain each other spiritually, it's not there a lot of times. We meet together, we worship together, but the relationships aren't what they ought to be to give us what we really need to experience the love of Christ in a body such as this. And we need to be people that are inviting. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. You know, one of the things that I notice about Jesus is all the times that people came to Jesus. You ever notice that? He's walking down the street. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus, I have this sick child. Will you heal him? People were coming to Jesus with their burdens. People were coming to Jesus with their problems. Because he had an inviting spirit. He had an inviting manner about him. Because he was gentle and lowly in heart. He wasn't quick to rush to condemnation. He wasn't quick to try to... Just fix people so that they could get away. But rather, people came to Him. And that's the way we need to be to each other. The best compliment that someone, or one of the best compliments that people can give you is that you're so easy to talk to. You're so easy to talk to. That people will just come and sit down with you and they'll just start talking to you about their problems. And whenever they do that, you need to take that as a great responsibility because they see something in you that causes them to trust you and that causes them to feel a need to talk to you. And we want to be that type of people. In order to listen to people, you've got to get people to talk to you. And in order to get people to talk to you, you have to be an inviting person. Parents, be inviting to your children. Our children should not feel apprehensive to come talk to us about their problems. But they know that whenever they have a problem, they can go to mom and they can go to dad and mom and dad are going to sit down and they're going to be gentle and they're going to be lowly in heart. They're not going to sit there and say, Oh, I can't believe you did that. What were you thinking? You know, I've had some parents talk to me about some very troubling situations with their children. And one of my first pieces of counsel and advice to them is don't overreact. Don't overreact. Because how you handle that situation is going to determine whether your children are going to come to you with their problems and with their weaknesses and with your struggles. And I don't know about you, I don't want my children talking to their friends at school about their problems. I want them to know that dad understands and that dad can listen in a way and dad can understand in a way that they can have confidence whenever they come and talk to us. Don't be someone that's not approachable, but be someone who is humble. Be someone who is lowly in heart and demonstrate the type of spirit where people will have confidence to come to you and to talk to you. The next thing is to respect and seek the other person's interest. In Philippians chapter 2 and in verse number 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. <clears throat> and I guess of all the principles that we're going to look at tonight, this is the one that I want to highlight. <laughs> when people come to you and talk to you about their problems and their burdens, they don't need to hear about yours. And they don't need to hear about mine whenever they come and talk to me. We all have problems. We all have burdens. And whenever people come to us with their burdens and with their difficulties and with their concerns, we need to listen and make the conversation about their problems, their difficulties, and their concerns. Now, do I have problems and difficulties and concerns? Absolutely. But when other people are talking to me about theirs, we're talking about theirs. Because it's about them. 
And nothing is more discouraging than to approach someone, or in my opinion, uh, to, to approach someone with a problem, a difficulty, and concern, and then immediately they start saying, oh, well, yeah, well, you ought to listen to what's happened to me. And then they're, well, what about me? I didn't come to hear about yours. We have to be centered on the interest of the other person. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That whenever we listen and we communicate with other people, that we seek to understand their feelings and feel the way that they're feeling. And put our stuff aside and not make it about us. I've been in those situations and trying to talk with someone about a problem, and we talked for about five minutes about my problem, and we talked the other 45 minutes about theirs. And I couldn't get out of there quick enough. And this person has come back and apologized, and they realize, you know, I handled that wrong. But I want you to understand, we have a propensity to want to talk about our own stuff. And we have to be disciplined to focus on the concerns and the needs and the cares of other people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone comes to you and they want to share good news with you, rejoice with them. Oh man, my, my son got his report card the other day and he got, he got two A's and three B's and we're just so excited. Oh, that's great. My son came home the other day with all A's again. <laughs> Why? Rejoice with them. <laughs> Rejoice with them. If you want to rejoice about your kid with four A's, go find somebody else and tell them. But rejoice with them. Don't make it about you. Let them have the moment. Let them have the time. And if someone comes to you weeping about some terrible thing that's happened in their life, boy, oh yeah, that's bad. But let me tell you what happened to me. Just let it go. Let them express themselves. Sympathize with them. Keep it about their interest and their cares. Again, when mom passed away, our neighbor next door, we were out in the yard and she came over and was talking. And we were, we were talking and I was talking about, you know, mom passed away and how hard and difficult that it was and, you know, not having her there anymore. And she was just standing there very patiently looking at me, nodding her head and, you know, with, with a very compassionate look on her face. And then all of a sudden I stopped. I stopped because just a year or two later, this lady lost her 20-year-old daughter to cancer. And I'm standing there thinking, and I just stopped. And I said, I'm sorry because I know you've experienced something a lot more tragic than that. And she just looked at me and smiled. And she just said, it just hurts when you lose a loved one. And I'll never forget that because she could have said, well, yeah, let me tell you what it's like to lose a child. But she didn't do that. She didn't do that. She let me tell my story. She let me tell my story. She didn't try to one-up me. She didn't try to make me feel better by saying, that, well, I've got it worse. She just listened. And she connected. And that's the way that we need to be. When people talk to us, focus on their interest. And if you have an interest, 
Go start another conversation with somebody else. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Do not behave rudely. Love doesn't behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. When we lovingly listen, I'm going to seek, not my own, but I'm going to seek to understand the one that's speaking. Understand the importance of timing. <laughs> in Isaiah chapter 50, in the first part of verse number 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. And we might look at that and we might think, well, that's talking about speaking and we're talking about listening. But what's implied in that is if there's a right time to speak, there's a right time to listen. And so whenever I'm sitting and I'm listening and I'm understanding and I want to interpose or impose something into the conversation, I want to make sure that I do it at the right time. I want to make sure that I've listened sufficiently so that I'm able to make a contribution to the conversation that's going to be helpful to the other people. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Fitly spoken. And maybe there is sometimes whenever maybe I need to disclose something about myself because I realize after listening that this person needs some confidence that I know and I understand. And so to give them some confidence that whenever I speak, I speak knowledgeably about the subject, I might say, you know, I've been through that situation. Let me tell you a little bit about it if you don't mind. Ask for permission. Show some deference to their feelings and to their needs. In Ecclesiastes 3, verses 7, or the second part of chapter 7, there is a time to keep silence and there's a time to speak. And the time to keep silent is the time that you don't fully understand the thoughts and the feelings of the person that you're communicating with. Because if not, we can speak out of turn and we can do more harm than good. Understand the importance of confidentiality. Proverbs eleven thirteen. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. You know, one of the reasons that people don't communicate things that they need to be communicating, sharing burdens that they need to be sharing, is because of they're afraid that trust will be violated. Whenever someone comes to you with a problem, when they come to you with a burden or a care, and they entrust that to you, you have to be faithful in guarding that information. You can't go out and tell other people what that person has told you, even if they didn't tell you not to tell anyone. Well, they didn't tell me not to tell. Here's what you understand. You understand that there is no right to tell unless they expressly tell you you can tell. Otherwise, as far as you're concerned and I'm concerned, it's confidential. And it, can be, it needs to be confidential to the point of pain if necessary. Maybe you've been in situations, I've been in situations where I knew things about people that those closest to them did not know. And I even asked the person, give me permission, and they said, no, no. I don't want them to know. 
And sometimes it's very difficult. But your obligation is to that person that entrusted you with their care, their problem, their burden. And we need to have an environment of confidentiality where we feel free to go to each other and tell each other, if necessary, the very worst about us. Because those are the things that we need to be sharing. The struggles and the burdens and the sins that we can't overcome ourselves, that we need to talk to somebody about. We need to have an environment where we know that it's going to be confidential and people are going to be faithful with my information as they listen and understand. <coughs> Number five, seek clarification. In trying to understand whenever a person communicates with you, enable in order to listen effectively, seek clarification. Ask questions. Clarify terms. Because a lot of times whenever people are talking to you, they'll be using a word with one meaning and then you have a different meaning for that word. And you're talking past each other. And so if you're talking with someone and they're using a word over and over again, you might ask, well, what do you mean by that? I notice you're using that word a lot. What do you mean by that? And ask them to clarify their terms so that you can, they can understand. Inquire about actions and deeds. Okay, I hear you telling me this, but I see you doing this. Again, call into questions. Seek clarification. And then just ask them, Are you, am I understanding this correctly? In counsel, it's, that, it's called the reflective exercise where they talk to you and then you come right back and say, okay, this is what I hear you saying. You think this, you think this, you think this, and you feel this way. And they might say, yes, that's it. Or they might say, as happens a lot of times, no, that's not it. You're not getting it. But that lets them know, even if you're not getting it, that gives them confidence that you're trying to get it and lets them know this person cares. This person cares. And then lastly, withhold judgments until appropriate. <clears throat> whenever people listen to whenever we listen to people and we're talking to people that are hurting, you know, sometimes when people hurt, they say things they don't mean. They say a lot of things that they don't mean. Because they're trying to express the pain that is within them. Again, as a school counselor, I can't count the number of times that kids will come in the office and they'll say, I just want to kill myself. They don't want to kill themselves. But they're hurting so bad and they're so desperate that they say something so outrageous to try to capture the way that they feel. And a lot of times when you're talking to people that go through crises in life, they'll lash out at God. God is unfair. How do we handle that? Do we make a judgment about that? Oh, you shouldn't say that. You know that's not right. You've been raised better than that. You've been taught better than that. I think we should let them say it. Let them say it. Because they're trying to express themselves. Is it wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. And you know what? 90% of the time, they know that it's wrong also. They know that it's wrong also. It's like with Job. If you read through the book of Job, 
Job became very frustrated with his three comforters. In fact, he called them miserable comforters. <laughs> you know, I think it was in chapter 16, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, when are you windbags going to quit blowing? And he would just call out, I mean, in his pain and in his anguish, make expressions that would cause his friends to step back and say, oh no, Job, you can't say that about God. So much so that whenever they came to comfort him, they ended up contending with him. And you don't want to do that. When people come to us with problems and cares and burdens, we want to be on their side. And so whenever they make statements that may seem inappropriate, withhold your judgment for the appropriate time. Again, see number three. Respond in an appropriate time. But let people talk. And again, it may be hard to sit there and you may feel the urge to want to just stand up and defend God. But here's what God wants. God wants you to help that person. And if I immediately confront that person in the midst of their misery and their pain, I'm not going to help them. I'm going to alienate them. And so I let them say what they've got to say. And then we begin through the process of counsel and advisement and prayer and relating to one another. And they know God wasn't unfair. They were just trying to get their point across. <clears throat> and so withhold judgments until it's appropriate. If they say something that's wrong scripturally, if they say something that's wrong doctrinally, just listen. Just listen. Make a note. And through the course of your counsel and your advisement and your care for them, you can acknowledge those. But don't confront them at the outset when feelings are raw and nerves are tender and they just want to be heard and they want to be understood. So whenever we think about listening to people, <clears throat> understand how important that it is that we listen. And that we listen effectively. And we capture the thoughts and we capture the feelings of the people that we're working with and we're relating to. Again, as spouses, husbands and wives, we've got to communicate to each other. When my wife talks to me about her problems and her cares and her burdens, I'm a man. <clears throat> I don't have that experience. So how do I figure out what she's thinking and feeling? Let her tell you. <laughs> Just let her tell you. And wives, the same way. You're not a man. You don't understand what it's like to be a man. How can you understand how a man thinks and feels? Let him tell you. And whenever they tell you, don't say, Oh, no, that's silly. You shouldn't feel that way. You say, I understand. I understand. And you try to understand and you try to put yourself in her shoes. Just like Paul said, you know, put yourself in their shoes as if you were imprisoned. 
Whenever our little children come to us with, our, with their problems, when they're 12, 13, 14 years old and they come to you and, Daddy, I've got a problem. Problem? You're only 15 years old. What kind of problem can you have? Just wait till you're a grown-up and you've got a mortgage to pay and you've got to pay insurance and you've got to take care of all the bills. That's when you'll have problems. Okay, Daddy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Daddy, I've got a problem. Let me hear it, son. And again, from an adult perspective, how can a 12-year-old have a problem? <laughs> because they're a 12-year-old. We have to look at it from a 12-year-old perspective. When people come to us with their burdens and their cares, don't minimize them because they're big to them. And when we minimize, we're going to turn them away. We want to listen in a way that we can think and feel what it would be like to be a 12-year-old again and to go through what they're having to go through. And again, I keep harping on this point, but parents, we have to be people that our children can come to. We have to be people that our children can come to. And so we have to be sure that we listen attentively and don't discount the cares and the burdens and the problems that they bring to us. <clears throat> let the other talk without interruption make judgments when appropriate and understanding does not mean agreement I've learned again in, in talking to people and in counseling two of the most powerful words you can say is I understand and understanding doesn't mean agreement it doesn't mean agreement means I understand so when that person is crying out and they're wringing their fist to God and says I just believe God is so unfair to me. I can understand how you'd feel that way. If I was in your situation and what happened to you happened to me, I could understand that. Now that doesn't mean that I agree that God's unfair, but I can understand how you can feel that way. And by letting them know that you understand and you create that rapport where you can be an effective counselor, an effective burden bearer, an effective friend, an effective spouse, an effective parent, an effective brother and sister of the Lord. So in conclusion, whenever we listen, first of all, we want people to talk to us. So be inviting. Be someone people can talk to. Respect and seek the other person's interest. When they come to us with their problems and their burdens, we've got problems and we've got burdens, but when they're talking to us, it's all about them. It's all about them. If I want to talk about mine, I'm going to start another conversation somewhere else. But I don't want to take somebody that's already burdened and then load more burden on them. Well, yeah, you think you got a burden. Here's my burden. Whose burden's bigger? Let's, let's compare burden. No, don't do that. Understand the importance of timing. Speak when it's the right time to speak, which implies listen when it's the right time to be listening. Understand the importance of confidentiality. If somebody confides in you, then it needs to remain confidential and you only tell it if you have express permission from them. Don't just assume that, well, they didn't tell me not to tell, so I can tell. Always understand that the rule is if somebody tells me something, I tell no one else unless I am expressly told I can tell someone else. Seek clarification. Let me go back to number four for just a second because I always have this brought up. If somebody brings something to you that they're about to hurt themselves, yeah, you tell that. 
if they're a threat to themselves, an imminent threat to themselves, or a threat to other people, you tell that. But any other type of burden, somebody comes to you, I'm struggling with pornography, I'm struggling with drinking, I'm struggling with drugs, I'm struggling with that kind of stuff, you keep it private. Number five, you seek clarification. Ask questions whenever you're listening. Help me understand. Am I understanding what you're thinking? Am I understanding what you're feeling? And withhold judgment until it's appropriate. As they go through and they make statements that you don't agree with, what we're trying to do right now is understand. And the time for correction and the time for instruction will come later. Right now, we just want to understand. So I appreciate your attention, and I hope what we've looked at will help you to become a better listener. And do this. You know, lessons like this are kind of like lessons about the tongue. Every time we get a lesson about the tongue, we always tell, okay, that's all right, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, and then we go out and then a few days later, we forget all about it until we get the next lesson about the tongue. <laughs> we always talk about the tongue, and we, rem- we need to remind each other to listen. Because I know after I give this lesson, whenever I'm talking to my wife, I'm on the edge of my chair, and my eyes and my ears are directed on her. And about three or four weeks later, I'm back to, okay, hon, what'd you say? Well, we need to be reminded to listen effectively.